Hello everyone and welcome to podcast episode number 16. So on today's podcast, I'm talking all about trauma, anxiety and how to feel safe with money. So this episode is actually an interview with Serena Ho. She is a money mindset and manifestation coach who is interviewing me and asking me questions all about trauma, all about anxiety and wealth. So dig in, enjoy and there is more to come with Serena and I. We have collaborated and done another podcast as well. So excited for when that is out. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So I'm so excited to be on here today and talking about all things trauma, mental health and everything like that. So yeah, I'm a kinesiologist, coach and mind-body medicine practitioner. I really specialize in clearing trauma and also awakening beyond the mind so that my clients can tap into that inner peace, overcome mental health issues, but also to get out of pain and any type of mental suffering. Amazing. So before we dive in, Callie, what are your big three for your astrology? So I am a Leo sun, Virgo moon and Scorpio rising, which I just looked up before this, which is so interesting because it's so much like me. Yeah, I love your mix because you have like different elements there. So you have fire, you have earth and you have water. Like that's a really balanced mix. And I love that because like your Virgo, your Leo sun really comes out. I can feel your passion whenever we're on calls. And for you guys who did not know, me and Callie were in a mastermind together and that's how we met. So seeing her in action and really feeling into those, her big three, I can really see that. So this is going to be an amazing chat that we're going to have today because of Callie's astrology and of course the beautiful soul that she is. Thank you so much. So Callie, what is a crazy but true fact about you? So I really had to think about this and I was like, what is something crazy but true about me? And I was like, okay, so people that know me now just see me as this really happy, like uplifted, like, you know, person. But for those who didn't know me before, I actually struggled with depression, anxiety, depersonalization. I was so shy. I never put myself out there. I was a completely different person before I did this work. And I think that's one of the most crazy facts about me is that I actually overcame all of those things. And at such a young age, like I fe- once I overcame those things, I also found what I really love to do. And to me, it's not really a crazy fact, but I think to other people, just seeing me um, the way that I am now and how happy I am, they're surprised to know that I too struggle with mental health problems and that my life was literally like completely, completely different before I did this work. And I was completely different as a person. Like everyone says to me, I do a full 180, um, which is so funny actually, because I keep seeing people try mean to say they did a 180 in their life, but they say 360. But if you do a 360, you're back where you started. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah. I love that crazy but true fact about you, Callie, because I feel like what I went through with my own mental health struggles was very similar. So I struggled with depression at the age of like 16. And that's when my mental health was coming up because I was kind of discovering myself and I didn't seek help until I was like 21. That was when I actually went to therapy and actually sought out a psychiatrist. But it took me that long to be like, hey, I need some help. Yeah. So in that time, like a question for you, did you find that like after all those years of not getting help, you were in a worse place, like that it would have been easier had you got help when you were 16? 
yeah, I think that would have been really helpful, like navigating all of that because I went like deeper and deeper into that, like mental health issues, such as like eating disorders and like self-harm. I feel like that would have, it would have been a big thing having that support there and being able to speak out about it. But growing up in like an Asian household, it's not really like a thing that's like to be talked about. So I felt like I had to suffer alone. Yeah, I've actually heard that with some of my clients. They said that, you know, in terms of their religion or just their culture that, you know, their parents are like, we don't go and see psychologists, which I found really interesting. You know, um, my family's always been very open, but me too. Like when I was going through my own struggles, I found that part of you can be really resistant to getting changed. I think it's because even though like feeling upset and depressed is obviously, you know, not very positive and people think, well, wouldn't you just want to be happy? But I think we actually become comfortable in that. Because it's like, actually, I've just been depressed and anxious for as long as I can remember that we just identify with it. And we're like, yeah, this is just who I am now. And so I think that's where the resistance really comes in. But we really just have to realize like, yes, it may be comfortable to stay depressed because we know what that feels like. We, are we going to stay in our comfort zone forever? And when you stay in your comfort zone forever, that means you keep experiencing things that you've always experienced. Like you keep experiencing the same sadness or the same whatever emotions. And that's why people end up actually becoming depressed in the first place because they don't do anything different with their life. And so they're just like, oh, I already know how I'm going to feel today because I'm going to go to work and I feel the same way when I go to work and I see the same friends that perhaps you don't even like. And you just keep doing the same mundane things that of course you're not feeling lit up and expanded because it's just like, Every day is the same routine and therefore the same inner feelings because it's not actually a routine, right? It's how you feel about what you're doing in your life, which is so, so important. I love that you touched on that. And especially when you talked about the identity, because I remember identifying so much as a depressed person. I remember identifying so much with my diagnosis and I would play into the parts of I am this. And it sprinkled throughout my like entire life with like the people that I was with and like the things that I did. It was I am this and it was like a crutch for me. So mm. I, I know that what it's like to be in that cycle and to like just be comfortable in it because that's been your whole identity, right? You tie yourself to that. Yeah, I totally, totally resonate because I remember like when nowadays everything has a label, right? And we think that's so good. We're like, we want the label. We want to go to the doctor and then we want them to tell us you've got this condition or that. But then we just identify with it. And same for me, I identify with I'm a depressed person. I am this, like I'm someone who's mentally unwell and all these things. And then I got to use that. It was a great excuse in my life. And perhaps in the beginning, it's a genuine excuse. I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to do my assignments. And I'm not feeling well. That's why my grades are slipping. And then over time, it's like, yeah, you know, this is the reason why I can mental health is the reason why I can't do anything ever in my life. It just becomes that easy like escape. You know, we don't need to take any accountability or self-responsibility for anything in our life. And we just blame everything ever. You know, my poor relationships, my slipping grades, my weight gain, all these things. We're like, yeah, because I'm depressed, therefore it's okay. So it's really about overcoming that and no longer being so like identified with your mental illness. Otherwise, you'll keep using that as an excuse. And I think it's really important to question and be like, actually, do we want to do that? And one day I just came to realize I was like, hold on. I don't want to actually be this person any longer. I don't want an excuse. And we're all going to be disadvantaged in some way or another. And so perhaps my disadvantage is that at the time I'm mentally not well, but that didn't mean that I couldn't do these things. Like I could still have studied and worked hard and, you know, I could have done all of those things. It was still very, very possible for me. But when you have that crutch, you just get so comfortable with it. And it's just so easy to use it as, yeah, this is a key excuse for why you can't do anything, I guess. 
Yeah. So I want to actually touch on your background since we're already diving into like mental illness. So for those who don't know about kinesiology, can you give a bit of a background as to what it is and what a session is like with you? Yeah. So with kinesiology, I got a a diploma for this and for mind-body medicine. And kinesiology is essentially using muscle monitoring to identify patterns of stress within the body. And this is why I love this particular, my particular approach. So like with typical counseling, like seeing a psychologist is just sort of talking. There's not really like a structure and it's the um, psychologist can only identify the issues based on what you say. However, with muscle monitoring, which is a part of kinesiology, I am able to actually identify stresses. So I can actually identify, okay, the particular words or emotions that are stressful. I can look at certain ages. Like for a lot, for a lot of my clients, I'll look up particular ages anywhere between like five and seven and a certain age will come up as stressful. And then we dive into it from there and they will say, actually, you know, this happened. Yeah, like I'll say, what happened when you were six? And they'll be like, yeah, massive trauma happened in my life. But it's really deep embedded in the subconscious mind, which I think you would know a lot about as well. And so that's why sometimes we don't even remember, like someone's coming to me and they're like, I'm just so depressed. I don't even know why. And it's because it tends to be because we're holding onto something from the past. So when I dive into it, using the muscle monitoring, I identify the age, then we're able to clear it. And it's a lot easier to work that way where I'm able to, you know, use that as a guide for the session. So every session is really unique. But I would say I just start by, you know, the client lets me know what it is they want to work on. We check a couple things, do some activations. It really depends if it's like an in-person session or online. Um, and then there is counseling, but it's really guided. So for me, I see my counseling as like peeling back the layers of an onion. So I'm not just talking about someone's problems because we can go on and ramble forever, right? But rather, you know, if someone comes to me with an issue, like they have anxiety and we're peeling back the layers. Okay. When did this stem from a gathering information? And we're going deeper and deeper to find that root cause of when did this start and what is actually triggering it? Can we clear that key root thing so that someone can overcome it? So perhaps with anxiety, the key thing may be an event in their life. They never got over a really traumatic event that set, like, does that mess with their nervous system? and made them so stressed, their body so stressed out that they feel they need to be like on edge all the time and overthinking all the time. Then, however, if we clear that traumatic event, my clients find that anxiety just disappears because that was the only thing that was like clogged in their nervous nervous system that they were holding on to. So that's sort of an idea of what a session would look like. And yeah, just uh, once I um, overcame my own mental health problems, I just knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, which came out of nowhere because before I had no direction, I was always so lost. And then so straight after school, once like once I finished year 12, I just went straight into study and I loved it. Like I didn't want to take a gap year or anything like that. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. Yes. And clearing anxiety for your clients, because I know that's such a big topic right now, because we're in lockdown, we're in a pandemic. It's like, how does someone, you know, clear that anxiety, but not be bombarded by the constant, like, like fear mongering that's like coming through or just like the news and just being in an anxious state because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You've been in lockdown and you're in Australia you know, so how can somebody combat like the anxiety that's being thrown their way? 
Yeah. So this is something I've actually been talking about a lot recently because, as we've seen, a lot of people who have perhaps didn't even suffer from anxiety are now suffering from anxiety. And people who previously had mild anxiety, it's like ramped up heaps. So the first thing, which, you know, is just like an easy thing to do is to identify what's triggering you. What is making you feel anxious? So normally I don't recommend just avoiding everything that makes you anxious. But in this scenario, if we're looking just for a quick fix, you know, like this is something anyone can do, identify what's triggering you and, you know, don't watch those things. If watching the news and the things that they say is triggering you, then, you know, maybe it's time to not watch it or limit it, right? But what else people can do? So what you were saying and what everyone's been saying is a lot of people's anxiety is coming from what is the future going to look like? What's going to happen in the future? And so this is the key here. You can notice that the anxiety comes from thinking about the future. And that's typically always what anxiety is. We're always thinking, analyzing what's going to happen in the future. And a lot, of, a lot of the time, normally, if it wasn't a situation like this, people have anxiety because of things that happened in the past, they anticipate it's going to happen again in the future. But in this case, people are just thinking, oh, well, I can't, I have no idea what life is going to look like at all. But here's where you ask yourself, why do I need to know? Right? Why do I need to know? If I, because no matter how much you think about it, you can think and read all the articles you want or whatever the government's saying about when we're going to get out of lockdown and do all those things. But we never know for certain. Nothing in the future is for certain. All we know is that we exist right here, right now in this present moment. And so the key is to actually just notice when am I lost in my thoughts? thinking about the future. Can I bring myself back to this moment right here, right now? Because here's the truth. It's not going to help you to think about the future and try and work it out because no one knows. So thinking about the future tends to be the key cause of the anxiety. So can we bring ourselves back and live in this present moment? Because if we're only living in the future, in our mind of what's going to happen in the next six months, we're actually fully taken out of the present moment and we're not enjoying it as much as we would be if we were just here. And I noticed this before, even with myself, not that I had anxiety, but I was thinking, oh, when are we getting out of lockdown? When is this happening? When can I go and do whatever? But then I wasn't actually planning on um, doing things each day because I was just thinking about the next couple of weeks instead of thinking about actually okay, what are the restrictions right now? What can I do right now that's going to make me feel good? Maybe that's doing some yoga. Maybe that's finding a routine. We can still create a routine and do all these things, but you have to do that in the present moment. You can't do all those things outside of the present moment. So can we bring ourselves back and you bring yourself back through the conscious awareness and then make decisions from that space of, okay, in this present moment, what's going to make me feel good? thinking about the future in the next six months or doing some yoga, going for a walk if you're allowed to and things like that. These are just a couple examples of things you can do to really help your trauma. Um, if, you know, if it's like a, if, sorry, your trauma, your anxiety, <laughs> these are things you can do to help your anxiety. But sometimes your anxiety is a result of past um, traumas. And in that case, you know, I recommend seeing someone, but even then still keep bringing yourself back into the present moment and reminding yourself that you are safe. That is like so, so important. You know, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of chaos going on around, but reminding yourself that you are safe. Perhaps you close your eyes and put your hands on your chest or your stomach or something like that. And you really come back and remind yourself, okay, I am safe. And so when you do that, you're getting out of that stress response. You're um, getting back into the parasympathetic rather than living in the sympathetic state where it's fight, flight, freeze. Because in that state, your nervous system's ramped up, then you're overthinking, then you're worried and you're like, do I need to fight someone, <laughs> right? And we're seeing that online everywhere. 
we're seeing that online everywhere right now with everyone's anxiety. So yeah, those are some tips that I would definitely recommend and breath work, meditation and meditation. It's just something I really want to touch on quickly. It's not just sitting down and like having complete stillness in your mind. If that freaks you out where you're like, oh my God, I can't do that. Start with something else. Walking meditation. Can you walk? And meditation isn't actually about completely clearing your mind. It's about focusing on your sensations and getting out of the mind. So can you walk and just notice your other sensations? What can you hear? What can you smell? What can you taste? What can you see? Can you do um, a food meditation, eating meditation, where you're not in your mind thinking about the pandemic and about, oh, my God, what's happening in life, but you're noticing, well, what does the food feel like on my tongue? What does it taste like? What am I hearing in this moment? All those are all things that get you out of the mind and back into your body, which will clear anxiety like literally instantly. It will clear the anxiety instantly because you're not in the mind overthinking. So those are my tips. So good. That's so cool that you touched on that. And I do a lot of walking meditation. That's actually one of my favorite practices because I do like guided meditations, but I don't like sitting around sometimes and I cannot just sit in silence. I feel like I have to move, but when I'm outside, like one of the things that I really look forward to in my walking meditation is to feel the wind because to me that feels so abundant. Like I can't see it, but I know like the universe is there is supporting me. So I love tapping back into my body. And I feel like that is so important to do especially when we are in those heightened states. Speaking of heightened states and within the body, I know some people have like such a hard time dealing with like panic attacks. Can you bring yourself back to the present moment when you're feeling that way? Or is there something that you need to do differently? Because I know it feels like in your body, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. So with a panic attack, that's sort of like... (sighs) That's kind of when it's gone too far in a sense that we've been ignoring or suppressing or not doing anything about our anxiety for quite a while, that eventually it just builds up, right? If we've been feeling anxious every single day and we just keep ignoring it, getting our mind off it, but by like distraction, then ultimately we may find that we have a massive panic attack. And when you're having a panic attack and someone says, just breathe, you're like, excuse me, because <laughs> it's a lot harder to do that, right? Actually, another coach that I follow made a really, really um, lovely point one day. She's saying like similar to triggers, this is very similar to triggers where it's like, if you don't notice your triggers and you're not like clearing your triggers in advance, then when you get triggered, it's like someone's shot the gun, the bullet's already on its way. It's like this nothing you can do because once it hits you and you're massively triggered and you're having this huge reaction it's a lot harder which is why I really love doing preventative things like we like to wait until we're like so unwell that we do something but how about every day we do a walking meditation and we you know eat well we like all of these things taking care of ourselves each and every day so that we can actually prevent that from happening because if we are doing nothing about our anxiety or rather doing nothing in terms of distracting ourselves, it's going to come out like it's not disappearing and it never disappears when you distract yourself and so the really key thing with the panic attack is okay when you've had a panic attack can you think back and notice all of the times that you were feeling anxious before then and what did you do about it odds are that you did feel anxious multiple times before then maybe you didn't even realize it but what you did was you just distracted yourself or just ignored it And then the panic attack happens. So again, it's about that gentle awareness. Can you clear the anxiety when it comes up? Otherwise, it's just building and building and building on top of each other until the panic attack happens. So 
even when you're having a panic attack, you know, try and do the breath work, try and tap back into your senses and things like that. But you might find that's a lot more difficult because now it's all just coming out. Yes. And I know this will be so eye-opening for some of my um, followers. And I know some of them deal with mental health as well. I love that you're talking about this and we dived into trauma, anxiety, and now it's how do we cultivate more better feeling energies? And I know we t- um, you talked about this on your stories about spreading more of that energy of happiness and positivity and how infectious that is when we're able to just smile and to like tell someone, hey, have a good fucking day. Yeah, that literally brings up so many good feelings. And as a collective, we can heal together. Absolutely. Yeah. So to promote more good feelings is literally to do things that you love in your life. And it sounds simple, but isn't it great that it's simple, right? So many of us forget to do things in life that we love. And so our energy is so stagnant. When we're depressed, we tend not to be doing things that we love. And we're like, oh, I just don't feel like it. I want to stay in bed or whatever. If you're not doing things that you love, how do you expect yourself to have good, happy, open energy, right? And this doesn't mean like, oh, you know, just go out and buy whatever you want and make yourself happy. What things do you literally enjoy? Maybe it's nothing to do with money. Maybe you enjoy going on a walk, but for some reason you don't. Maybe you enjoy actually working more, but for some reason you think it's wrong and you can't. And this is something I even learned recently in my life. I realized that When I get into those states where I feel stagnant, it's because I'm not following my bliss and I'm not following what lights me up. Because when you're not doing what lights you, you need to follow the path of where does your energy feel expanded and keep expanding. Because people don't realize that if we don't have challenges in our life and we're not continuously expanding, we would go backwards, like we would regress. So we need to have the challenges, we need to have that movement and to be doing things that we love that expands our energy. And when you have more good, um, like happy, joyful feelings, you will naturally spread that to other people. This is a really weird thing in humans. Oh my God, there's a name for it, but I can't remember. But oh no, they even did in animals. Like, have you heard of this thing where they put um, like uh, crabs in boiling water and one of them tries to get out and the other ones will pull it down with it? which is so interesting. I heard another study that's similar to that, and that's frogs. So when you, if you throw a frog into boiling hot water and it's already boiling, it will jump out immediately, right? But Mm -hmm. if you keep a frog in um, like cold water and you like slowly increase the temperature, it will not jump. And then before Mm -hmm. it knows, it's too late. Yeah, that's also so interesting. So what I identified with this is that, you know, for some reason, when you're down, you sort of want to pull people down with you, but it's not like, in an, it's not because you have bad intentions, but I think it's just because we want other people to feel how we're feeling. Like all the time, when we feel sad, we want other people to feel how we're feeling. When we're happy, we want people to feel how we're feeling. So if you want to start changing things in the world and like right now, you know, when you open social media, it's all like panic, stress. Oh my God, the world is ending. <laughs> how about we start posting when we're happy? Let's post our smiles. Let's post our good vibes and things that made, made us feel good. Simple things. I post online, wow, the world is so beautiful today. And I mean it. And I know that I love other people sharing this kind of stuff. I love seeing the positivity. I love seeing other people happy. So yeah, and that like thing about the frogs is just so, so interesting, which I think also touches on awareness, right? It touches on awareness because we're not, the frog is clearly not aware enough that, oh, the temperature is getting hotter. So it's like our anxiety keeps increasing. 
and increasing and increasing. And then one day it's way too much. You have that panic attack, like the water is boiling. But what if we had noticed before, okay, it's getting a little bit hotter. It's getting a little bit hotter. And we did something about it. We jumped out. We cleared the trauma. We changed the temperature, right? Then it would prevent the panic attack from even happening in the first place. Yeah. When people live in these states for long periods of time, like years, that leads to more health problems, right? And so many books and so many um, doctors talk about this is like, when trauma is not cleared, it exists in the body as disease, which is dis-ease, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So when we don't, when we've got a lot of trauma, clogged in our nervous system and who knows perhaps that's from when you were a childhood trauma a lot of us talk about this but even when you get older a really bad breakup anything like that a massive fallout with all your your friends right all this trauma gets clogged in the body and if we're not clearing it if we're not working on it it's just being stored there and a lot of the time you will find someone um has like chronic pain and you talk to them and they have a massive story to tell you about all the bad things they've been through in their life right and so the way that um, mind-body medicine like approaches this, which I love and I find just so interesting, is that different parts of the body relate to different like emotions. Like for example, the shoulders. The shoulders, like the top of the shoulders represents like responsibility. Do you feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself? Is there a lot on your shoulders? Perhaps, you know, things feel like a burden. And mo- almost everyone I talk to says, yeah, there's so much I have to do. There's so much responsibility on my shoulders. Another area, um, for example, so at the back of the shoulder, like how would you describe that area? Like your shoulder blade. Your shoulder blade, yeah. So around that area, all to do with grief, all to do with grief. And it's so interesting because I had a friend tell me, oh, my shoulder blade's so, so sore. And I said, oh, well, yeah, it's got a bit to do with grief. Has anything happened like recently? They just told me a few days ago they lost um, a family member. And then straight after that, the shoulder pain came. So when we're not processing the emotions, the emotions will then be stored in the body and it manifests as physical pain, which is why when you clear your trauma, you can get out of pain. I forgot to mention as well, I was like years ago, I was diagnosed with IBS. I had chronic stomach pain and so many other symptoms. The doctors are just like, that's it. I'm sorry. We we don't know what to say to you. And then I started clearing my trauma and one by one, each symptom disappeared. And it's just so interesting because there needs to be more talk around this. There needs to be more talk around this. And But even, you know, even psychologists, they recognize this, that people with trauma tend to have unexplained pain in the body or just pain that moves around. It's that energy. It's that like that, tra- that, that trauma is just moving around. And some people just have the pain moving. Like they never deal with their, their stuff. And they're like, I have headaches. And then they're like, oh, now I have stomach pain. Oh, now I have knee pain. And it just keeps moving around the body because it's like, hello, the body's like, can you come back here? Get out of the mind. Can we actually process this? So, yeah, it's so interesting. So with chronic illness, so a lot of it is unexplained, right? But, Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people talk about like clearing it through like diet but when we actually start to heal the trauma and the energy, because trauma is energy that's stored in the body, right? Mm-hmm. These chronic illnesses go away. So if yes. more people practiced taking care of those really stuck emotions, they wouldn't have chronic illness, just like how you overcame your chronic illness. Exactly. Yeah. And I've worked with many other clients as well with chronic illness, chronic pain, especially like unexplained chronic pain or like a stabbing pain or something like that. So, yeah, and the thing is, like, when you're dealing with a lot of trauma, 
you tend to then make poor, poorer decisions in your life because you perhaps, when you dealt with trauma, we create a lot of mental narratives and stories and we say we don't like ourselves, we hate ourselves. And so if you don't like yourself, of course you're not going to invest in like organic food or eat healthier because you're like, I don't even care. You know, you're not going to um, do things that you love in your life. And so all of these things do contribute and all just come together. So when people clear their trauma, they get out of pain and they heal their illnesses, but also they start to make better, healthier decisions because they love themselves. They believe, hey, I'm worth it. I'm worth that $10 smoothie or whatever it is. So yeah, it all ties together like so perfectly. And I could literally go on and talk about any every type of topic, but like, before, when I was younger, I struggled with weight. Like I struggled with my weight all the time. And a really interesting thing about our weight is sometimes we're actually just clinging onto the past. And so we've got all that excessive baggage in terms of our weight, right? But also when we dealt with a lot of trauma and we don't like ourselves and all those things, I wasn't eating healthy and I didn't care to eat healthy. But now naturally, you just naturally, you start to make different decisions when you clear your trauma. And it just it, as a byproduct of clearing your trauma, you change your own life because you now care about what you eat and being healthy and things like that. I think that is so true because when you look at people who have had chronic illness or dealt with a lot of you know, pain in their lives and you see the transformation happen like before and after photos, it's incredibly powerful because you can see the difference just from the photos. In the energy, right? You can see yeah, it in, in the, the energy. energy. And I am like so amazed when I see these before and afters and, you know, what was their lifestyle like back then? How were their emotions then to where they are now? And I think, you know, me and you are both testimonials of healing through these pains that we've been through these emotions and it only gets better from here. It only gets yeah. better. So I want to dive into safety now within the body. And I know this deals a lot with receiving and holding wealth. And I'd love for you to touch on this because, you know, abundance and being in abundant energy is feeling safety within the body is feeling safe with your money. Because oftentimes when we don't feel good with our money, that leads us to these states of anxiety of like, oh fuck, I can't yes. pay my bills. Oh my mm -hmm. God, I don't know where the money is coming from. And, you know, can you talk about how that relates to money and maybe trauma around money? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot um, to do with trauma and money. I'm just trying to gather my brain what to start with first. But so let's say someone has a lot of trauma and I've actually seen this. So a lot of people who struggle financially tend to also have a lot of trauma or brought up in a way that there's a lot, they didn't feel safe, right? And not feeling safe is trauma in itself. Like trauma is not just, um, you know, being assaulted or things like that. Trauma is anything that like your nervous system wasn't be able to cope, wasn't able to cope with, or you're still thinking about to this day. If you like are still thinking about something and you can't move, move beyond it, it was cl clearly traumatic for you. So um, an interesting thing with uh, people who win the lottery, right? They magically just like win the lottery one day and they end up losing it all within a couple of years. Now, why is this? There's so many factors to this. One is when there's a lot of trauma stored in the body, like we we're saying, you feel unsafe. When you feel unsafe, what are you going to do? You're in fight or flight. You're not really, you don't really have that rational thinking. So you're sort of just like doing whatever and whatever's going to make you feel good. When you, again, when you've been through a lot of trauma, 
you're looking for a quick fix, something that's going to make you feel good instantly. And that is why a lot of people who have been through a lot of trauma spend all their money. And they might even say, I don't even know where it goes. But it's because they are looking for that quick fix, that quick high of, okay, I just want to spend it on this and buy that and all of these things. So I've definitely seen that a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, There's just so much more to do with trauma and money. I'm just trying to gather it all because it's just such an interesting topic as well. So um, also to do with also to do with your mindset, right? So a lot of people growing up, their parents embed a lot of their beliefs into their kids. Yes. And but this happens with everything, right? But with money, it can be really, really bad for the children because parents might say things like, you know, it's so hard to make money. The only way to make money is by frauding the system or something like that. And so when you actually look at people who end up committing crimes or um, selling drugs, look back at how they were brought up. It tends to be that either they didn't have parents there to support them, they felt that drugs was the only way to make money, and they perhaps had a lot of negative beliefs around money. Perhaps their parents growing up said, oh, if you have money, you're a bad person, or that money, um, you know, it's so hard to come by and all these things. When you're so young and you're hearing that, you don't know, like you don't, you don't have the ability to think for yourself. Your parents are like a God, right? When your parents say anything, you're like, oh, totally, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, right? So it's really important to clear your trauma and actually just become aware, just become aware of what's going on in your life. Like if you're making a lot of money, you don't even know where your money's going, like just get clear on that first. Okay, where am I spending it? what's going on, but even more to it, like when you want to call in more wealth and more money in your life, you need to really, I know there's a lot of people, like sometimes you don't need to unblock your limiting beliefs and do all that stuff, but just decide that's what you want, right? But for a lot of people, it's hard to decide that's what they want and decide, you know, I'm going to try and go get more money because their beliefs are stopping them and because their trauma is stopping them. Someone who's been through a lot of trauma is a lot less likely to be confident and like really push and say like, yes, give me a job right? So that's another small thing. If we perhaps lack confidence, someone else may be hired instead of us. So there's just a lot of little factors that unfortunately, people who go through trauma tend to have a more difficult time with money. And being in that traumatic state on your body and being in sympathetic, what happens is that if you you don't feel safe, right? And so sometimes having the money doesn't even feel safe. And that's what you were saying, right? So for some, some people say, yes, of course I want like to make $100,000 a year or something like that. And I'm like, okay, so if you had $100,000 in your bank, what would you do? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And they get stressed, right? And so it's really about noticing. You say you want it. You say you want the money. Okay, great. If you had no objections to receiving that money, you would have had it by now. This is like manifestation, right? Like if you had no objections to being in a relationship, you'd find a way to be in a relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like if you were, and if you were married to someone and you wanted to get a divorce, if you had no objections to getting a divorce, you would find a way to get a divorce. Like it wouldn't matter how hard it is. You would get a divorce. So that's the same thing with money. If you wanted that money, you would find a way to get it. And there tends to be some reason why you don't want to get it. Either you don't know how you'd manage the money and that's, that's causing you stress in itself. And so you rather get rid of it because having money is a responsibility. And so many of us think that having money is only just so good, so amazing. And it's like, yeah, it is. 
But with that comes responsibility. People want um, expensive houses and mansions. Okay, with that comes responsibility. Are you going to clean it? Are you going to get someone someone else to clean it? Like there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of different responsibilities that come with getting more things in your life, which I think a lot of people don't even like think about. And that can be what's blocking them. So if you want more money in your life, think about it right now. Okay, if $50,000 hit your bank tomorrow, how would you feel? Would you would you be really happy? Would you be really excited? That's really great. But would you know what you do with it? Or would it stress you out to have that big sum there? Or if you're manifesting like clients, right? And that's where you want your money through your business. Everyone's like, yes, of course, I want to be fully booked. And I'm like, okay, if someone booked tomorrow and you were booked out, what would you do? That everyone's like, oh, I'd panic because I'm not ready. I haven't prepared all the contracts. I wouldn't be able to handle that many clients. And you can see how they're blocking themselves. They're blocking themselves from receiving the money. So those are just some things, but oh my God, I could go even more into it, honestly. I feel like this is like a big part of like being a coach and like having more money and holding that wealth, right? And we we also don't notice that we have these programmings that are going on in the background. And like you said, it's from your childhood too. So I see this come up so much where so many people are like, I'm calling in money. I want more money, but they're like, I have like, I hate Jeff Bezos. He's a dick. I would never Mm -hmm. do that. I would not do that with money. But what is, you know, it's like, what is that response from your body? You're just like, ew, it feels gross. You know, when you talk about a lot of money, when you're talking about like millionaires and trillionaires, and when there are pictures of people like this, your immediate reaction is just like, bleh. (laughs) Mm, yeah and that's really interesting right because a lot of us don't even realize we're like totally being like we're being hypocrites (laughs) essentially right we're saying we want wealth we want to be a millionaire and all these things but then when we look at other people with money we don't like them well if you don't like other people who have money you're not going to like yourself if you had money therefore you're going to block yourself from getting that money so there's just so much to do with trauma and money and like I had a client um trying to get a job like she wanted this new job and with that new job came a lot of money and she was saying how like her whole life, that's all she ever wanted, like to have a lot of money and things like that. And then um, she landed the job actually, which was so awesome. And I was like, that is just like literally so cool. I was so happy for her. But even though she had this job and she was making more money than ever, she said she couldn't spend like any of the money because it caused her stress. And so it's like there was a trauma there. There was actually something going on where she didn't like feel that she was worthy and like good enough to spend the money on herself. Like she could only spend the money on herself It was go- if it was going to help her be a better worker, which I thought was so interesting. And so you can have a lot of money and still have like money trauma or scarcity. And I literally see that with people all the time. They have millions of dollars and they'll still be like, I don't want to spend it. And so it's really, you want to, like the aim is to, whether or not you have money or not have money, be in that space so you can spend, like spend and not be stressed. Like you don't want to be stressed every single time you're making a payment. And be like, oh, should I spend $6 on that chai? I found that with myself too. And I realized I'm blocking more money from coming to me by being in that state of like, should I buy this? Should I do that? And thinking all the time and just being stuck in the mind and always worrying about the next time I'm going to spend money. Like how about we spend, but actually feel okay with the purchases that we make and purchase something because it feels abundant because it feels expansive, you know? And so and sometimes when you spend money, especially in your business, it's going to be like a little bit on the edge of your comfort zone. And that's what people do as you up level in your life. For one person, perhaps like a $1 million house is just out of their comfort zone. For the next person, it's a $10 million house. And so, but you will keep expanding the more you're sort of 
edging on the when you're on the edge of your your comfort zone if that makes sense so when does that comfort zone start to kind of like take over and it's causing too much stress where you can't even like think about the up level because I've been in that space where it's like I did a massive investment but it was causing me so much stress that it took me out yeah, what's really interesting is it may be from a place of lack, but it may also be like, you know, were you investing in that because you like had a set like outcome? You were like, oh, once I do this, like I'm going to get something out of it. And then we place pressure on ourselves and our energy like contracts. And we're like, okay, but if I don't get the outcome, then what? Like then I've wasted my money, right? And then we start thinking and getting in the mind and doing all those things. So it's really about releasing the expectations. Like am I purchasing this because it feels expensive? You know, am I purchasing the new iPhone because it feels expensive? Or am I looking at all the specs and going, hmm, I must get it because it has three cameras, not two. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I love that you touched on expansiveness because money can do that for you, right? It can either expand you or contract you. Yeah, yeah. So something a lot of people don't even do is they don't even let themselves feel safe with the money they have. And so another really interesting thing is like is how the lack can follow you. That lack mentality can follow you no matter how much money you have, which I find just so interesting. Like you can be making $100,000 a year, then be making a million dollars a year and still be stuck in that lack. And what's so interesting about that is if we're stuck in that lack, right, where you're making millions of dollars per year, but then you keep like being fearful of should I buy this, should I buy that? What you're telling yourself, your mind and the universe is I don't believe more money is coming. I don't believe more money is coming. If you believed more money was coming and that every single month you were going to get paid whatever amount of money and money was going to come into your bank and you were always supported, would you have that fear? Right? Would you have that fear? You probably wouldn't. But something I also just find crazy interesting is there are people making like, I don't know, $5,000 each month, every single month, right? It's It's a paycheck. And for some reason, they're still scared about money. They're always stressed about money, even though they know that money is coming in every single month, the same amount every single month and their job is not going anywhere and they're still like, and in that sense, I can see their trauma is playing out in terms of money. It doesn't matter that they have massive job security, right? It doesn't matter that they know they're going to have money coming in every single month because it's not about what's going on in the external world. It's about how you allow yourself to feel. One person in that same position getting $5,000 a month will feel so safe and secure because they let themselves. The next person with so much unprocessed trauma and things they haven't dealt with is going to feel unsafe no matter what. You know, it doesn't matter how much job security they have. They're still stressed out, worrying when the money's going to come, even though they know it's going to come. And that's really coming from that trauma space because they're obviously not able to use like their rational brain and like rationally be like, oh, okay, I don't need to stress because I know I'm going to make this amount every single month. So that's another big thing. Yeah. I feel like that plays out in like cycles, right? It's like a never ending cycle until you decide to break it, until you decide Mm -hmm. like, I want to feel different about my money and I want to shift how I feel with my money and how I use my money. Because even though you are getting, you know, your $5,000 every month, it's like you keep doing the same thing with your money, whether it's Mm -hmm. overspending or just saving and being in that stuck energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a really like great thing I've been impl- implementing in my life recently is just asking myself like, wait, if I like, because like you were saying, the energy of receiving money and holding the money and keeping it is very different. A lot of us have no issues receiving $5,000 or a million dollars, 
but we don't feel good to keep it. Whatever it is, we don't feel good enough. We don't feel worth it. We don't believe we worked hard enough to have the money or whatever, like made up belief we've created. And so our subconscious mind's like, oh, you don't want it? Okay, let's get rid of it, right? So that definitely happens a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Callie, for all of this incredible information on the mind, the body, trauma, emotions, and also wealth as well. But before you leave, I want to ask a few questions. And that is, what are three books that you'd recommend to my audience and why? Ooh, so my favorite book ever that I recommend to anyone is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. This will blow your mind. That one and anything by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, he is amazing. Oh my God, do you remember what that mean? That his most popular book? Yes, I have it on oh, my Breaking the Habit. Mm-hmm. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Recommend that 100%. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself um, by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And a third book, hmm, maybe something like Untethered Soul. Um, not sure about the author of that one, but it's like a horse on the front. <laughs> but it's also about consciousness, awaiting, awakening beyond the mind. Oh, my gosh, sorry. There's going to be one extra book I'd recommend. If you're interested in wealth-related things, Amanda Francis. What is her book called? <laughs> Rich as fuck. Yes, yes. Amazing book on wealth money everything like that and it's more like an energy mindset kind of book rather than the books that are like and let me teach you how to like buy a house in four years you know so yeah amazing amanda francis yes and the last question i have for you so you're on this podcast what is your definition of badass bitch energy oh well when i think of badass bitch energy i just think of you <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I just love your like entire vibe. Um, yeah, I just associate it with you. And I just love like your page and your aesthetic of your page and like how you like stand out to me so much. Um, it's because your page is just so unique and your personality just completely shines through. But badass bitch energy, honestly, being yourself, doing what you want and not caring what other people think, right? That's the only way you're going to get through life and like be the person you want to be. Because if you're always worrying what other people think, that's not badass bitch energy. That's like, I'm a people pleaser, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yes. All right. So where can the listeners find you online, Callie? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, my name is Callie Wilkinson and I have my Insta, my website and everything there, but I, I will just add in the show notes, like all those details, if you guys aren't sure of the spelling or anything like that. So yeah, be sh- like I would love to um, meet more people if anyone's got any questions, like any more questions or something like they want to hear more about, we can do like another podcast. So yeah, feel free to like connect with me on Instagram, reach out in my DMs. Yes. Get in touch with Callie. She is incredible and she is such an amazing coach and works with the mind and body in a way that I do not see much online in this way. So let her be your guide to your healing, to healing your trauma, to just move through whatever it is you're going through because she has so much insight. And Callie, what I love about you is you're also so young, which I'm just like, but the words of wisdom that you've put out there today you would not even know it. You're like an old soul. Okay, gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, that was honestly in the beginning of my business, like one of my biggest fears and people would tell me is you're way too young. Like, how are you going to get clients? Who's going to work with you? And I was like, I just know 
I'm going to do this work. And that in itself is the biggest limiting belief ever. If you want to cultivate more wealth or whatever in your life, your age does not matter. Your age literally could not mean less. That's my final tip. (laughs) Yes. All right, you guys, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for coming on and listening to us talk. We're definitely going to have a part two. This is not going to be the last time that Callie is going to be on this podcast, vice versa. She also has a podcast as well. We'll leave it on the show notes so you can check her out and listen to her amazing podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you at the next podcast drop. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And yes, stay tuned for part two that will be uploaded shortly. And I will stay connected with you guys on Instagram or see you on the next podcast episode. Feel free to, as I said, feel free to DM me. Let me know how you enjoyed the podcast and any questions or something else, something that you want to learn more about so I can cover it as a podcast episode. And all the details of where to find my Instagram, my website, ways to work with me and everything like that will be in the show notes. If you've just recently come across my page and trauma is a new thing that you're really learning more about and you want to dive deeper into it but you don't know where to start, send me a DM, let's get chatting or you can purchase my journal prompts, gentle reflection around trauma. They are only three US dollars and you can start reflecting and identifying the things it is that you want to work on and what needs shifting. But if you have any questions at all about my services or working with me, then feel free to find me on Instagram, shoot me a um, DM or an email. Let's get chatting. Let's get talking and let's see how I can help you.